you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, guys, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Roger here. In this week's episode, I'm speaking again with Jamie Oikel, a good friend of mine, fellow professional industry partner and colleague. We get together quite often, and we do lots of recordings, and uh, you know we've been collaborating quite a bit. And this episode is so relevant during COVID because this thing blindsided all of us, right? Crisis comes out of nowhere. The unexpected happens. It puts us all out of business, at least for a short period of time. Now we're sort of starting to reopen. Some of us have reopened, and now we're being forced to close again. It's just crazy. Nobody knows where the roller coaster ride will end and what's going to happen in the future. But the whole point of this episode is surrounding a book called Who Moved My Cheese? Maybe you've read it. If you haven't, you should. It sold 28 million copies. And it's literally all about, you know, business as usual. And when things are good, it's human nature to take it for granted. You know, profits are strong. We have a solid business. Customers are coming in the door. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden, the light switch goes off and it changes And the whole moral of the story is survival of the fittest. And is this COVID crisis going to kill us? Is it going to make us stronger if we've pivoted? You know, is is this new way of doing business going to be a whole paradigm shift and change the way we approach things and prepare for the next COVID crisis, whatever that might be? The unexpected in this business is always around the next corner. Will we systemize our business? Will we improve it, strengthen it, make it more profitable? Will we put a cash cushion aside for the future unexpected? Or will we go back to the way we did things before once the crisis is over? Nobody knows, but stay tuned. This is a great episode. Hey folks, Jamie Oikel here from runningrestaurants.com. Let me give a quick kind of story. And I got, I got Roger, my buddy, that's going to join me in the conversation. But uh, just like everyone else, I had questions. I don't know what's going on answers. And I'm sitting up uh, 1230 one night recently and I got the books behind me and I'm like, let me just read for a little bit, try to get tired, try to get some sleep because I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't sleep. And, um, you know, so I turn around and there's a bunch of titles here and, um, needless to say, I ended up, I ended up grabbing this, this book. Cause I was like, when I read the title, um, who moved my cheese? Yeah, I was like, oh man, I remember that book. And like the title, who moved my cheese? I mean, that's like something big just happened. Right. So. Roger, you remember this book? Have you seen this book at all? I read it many, many, many years ago, and I remember enjoying it very much and having a basic idea of the story, but you'd have to refresh our memory. Yeah, I do. I do. I want to I wanna refresh, folks. So um, good news for America is that apparently 28 million copies have been sold. So a lot of people have seen this book. Uh, unfortunately, I did, when I read it, I pulled up the, the author, has uh, Spencer Johnson, has since died, unfortunately, in 2017. And this would have been a great dude for somebody to interview saying, no one has ever moved the cheese like this on the world. What do you yes. think, man? And he, and he would have an opinion on that, that that I think would be great insight. And the idea here is um, uh, the story is there's, there's, four, there's four beings in a, in a little maze, right? The two of them are mice and two of them are little tiny humans or they act like humans. And um, uh, what's fascinating is they, they, they're in a maze and they go to a place where, oh my God, there's just tons of cheese. And they now they know that every day they can go back to that same spot and they're going to be taken care of. They, 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 they don't have to run through the maze anymore. They don't have to panic. They know their family's taken care of. Everyone's going to eat every day. Simple. They love it. Weeks and weeks and weeks and goes on. And they just plan, hey, this is always, it's always going to be like this. Never going to change. And they make their plans. Boom. One day, no more cheese. Completely gone. 
and they just they start panicking. Meanwhile, the, the other two characters are mice, and what do mice do? They just react. So there's no no cheese, and they go no cheese. Boom! They go back into the maze and they go looking for the next opportunity. And some people do act like that, right? Oh, my situation changed. Boom! I go off to the next thing. But the the human type characters in this little maze are like, whoa. I need my cheese. I plan on the cheese. I always had the cheese. It's always been here. It was always going to be here. I always, I plan to retire with the cheese. And so who moved? It's, it's going to come back. Listen, the, the two characters are hem and haw, right? You know, so you can see where this is going, right? Hem and haw, what to do about our life, right? And um, so they, they are like, don't worry. We'll go back home. We'll come back tomorrow. It's going to be here. Of course, it's not there the next day. We'll come back. It's going to be there. It's not there. And this goes on and on and on. And finally, of course, they're getting weak and, and, and they, they, you know, they haven't eaten in days now. So Haw uh, eventually decides to go off in the maze. I got to take a chance. I remember what it was like to explore, to try new things. I'm going to do it. And the other guy says, no, it's going to, everything's going to be fine. That dude stays put. Hem, hems himself in, right? Never, never moves past what was happening in the past. Anyway, to make a long story short, Haw goes out in the maze, um, has struggles, uh, finds a little bit here, finds a little bit there, uh, has a little bit of success. Eventually, eventually, after a lot of struggle, finds the new mega uh, cheese load, which is bigger than the other one, better. But and he's like, "Wow, this is great!" But um, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I'm going to plan. I'm going to plan for things that could happen in the future. I'm not going to rely on this always being here. So, uh, really good story. Uh, quick takeaways from that, Raj. What do you think? Learned his lesson, right? It's like, yeah, it's like complacency in the restaurant business. Nobody can see around corners, but we think, oh, we've been in this business for a couple of years. Yeah, it might be seasonal here and there, but essentially I can count on it being this much business at this time of the year and that much business. And no one ever expected that business would come to a standstill. And we are like the humans in the maze where suddenly a lot of us are dead in the water saying, what do I do next? I've been doing the same thing for 10 years and all of a sudden I got a big brick wall in front of me. And some of us know how to pivot or we got an idea on how to pivot. We might have been pivot several times, but some of us can't pivot at all or for a variety of reasons, there's nothing we can do. I fall into that camp. I mean, I have a restaurant now. Um, my state governor shut us down as a sit-down restaurant. We attempted to do the, the takeout and delivery and curbside pickup mode, but my clientele, the majority of them, uh, right now are seniors and the elderly. I'm in a small little town in Maine and it's a breakfast and lunch place. And these people are not leaving their houses under any circumstances. And, you know, we tried the grab and go thing and nothing happened. Meanwhile, my employees are standing around. I had to lay everybody off. So our pivot right now is obviously applying for government relief and all these programs out there and hoping for the best that we can reopen. We're also exploring doing the online merchandise sales that some restaurants are pivoting with. We may have an opportunity to do that because we do have a social media following. But yeah, wow. I mean, the mice are smart and the people are like, I've always done it this way. I'm always going to do it this way. What do I do now? And we yeah, need right. to shift that mindset. Yeah, and, and so folks, uh, to introduce Roger Bodwin here, he's uh, currently the operator of restaurantrockstars.com, uh, but also a longtime operator in the state of Maine in, in, uh, in, in ski resort business. And like he said, just recently opened up a restaurant. So this, this dude has been in the business for years. And what's good is we can talk about his exact experience of, of operating a current joint and having to deal with the relief funds, having to lay people off, having to have government put uh, things in place from day to day that change. So uh, I, I, again, I thought, I thought the book was interesting. Listen, you can pick this up. I don't know your library, not your library is unfortunately probably closed, 
pick it up online. If you got to spend 12 bucks on Kindle, do it. You can read it in an hour. It's going to make your brain go, oh shoot, which character am I? Because I guarantee you cannot be the hem character who's going to stay and put because things are not going to go back to the way they were no matter what at this point. So you have to, and everybody, there are people that are exactly doing that, waiting, assuming it's going to come back. It is not going to come back the way it was before um, because it can't. We've seen that a shock to the system like we just experienced is put everybody out like a knockout from, from you pick your favorite fighter, you know, Tyson in my day, this guy just knocked you out and there's no answer for it. So when we come back and we want to talk a little bit about that coming back part, you are going to have it, have a different mindset, like completely different mindset. You can't go back to operating a restaurant that was struggling for 5% profit margin because you can see that in one week hiccup, you are done. And so how do you operate to get past that? So we'll talk, we'll talk about that. And I, so I, I thought this was a good metaphor of the cheese. For sure. And I, 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 I like to talk about it like that. But, but so people are pivoting. Roger talked about his first pivot to takeout and delivery. I've been tracking on our website, uh, restaurants doing the same thing in our city and elsewhere. Um, it is a struggle. They're fighting. There's no, they're not replicating the revenue. They still had to let people go, but they're fighting the good fight. And I hope they keep that on because we do need those restaurants to do that. Um, in my mind, Roger, let me ask you this question. I do not think, let's, let's just, I'm going to pick a number out of thin air, but if there was a thousand restaurants in my marketplace, uh, March 1st, and let's say uh, March 1st, a year from now, I don't think there's going to be 1,000 restaurants operating. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, it goes back to that old adage, survival of the fittest. You know, there's so many operators out there that are super strong. They've got their systems dialed. They follow the lead of the chains and they realize that they've got to get bulletproof in their business and they've got to be maximum maximizing their profitability. They've got to train their staff to sell. They've got to provide extraordinary experiences, really set themselves apart from the competition. And then there's those operators out there that have lost the passion or they've been in the business for decades and they thought they were going to get out and now suddenly they can't get out. Or, you know, they just continue to work in their business instead of on it. And they really don't take inventory and they don't know their costs and their financials. And they had a profitable business. Maybe it was marginally profitable, but it was adequate for their needs. And now they can't survive anymore. You know, they, they didn't make enough money to be able to pay a manager or a management team. They were working themselves to death, you know, six, seven days a week. And now business is gone. And what happens when business comes back and how do they get back in the game and expect to do what they did before or even improve the business? You know, I mean, these are all the catch 22 questions that you can answer, you know, ask and answer all day. This, this was the article that I, 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 I guess it's not worth pulling up the share screen feature. I'll just read the title. And because when I read the title, it scared the crap out of me. You know, small, yeah. small businesses faced extinction level event. Congress and Congress ensures big corporations survive. So let me read that again. Small businesses, which let's think about independent restaurants, face mm -hmm. extinction level event. Right. Meanwhile, big corporations, i.e. chains, will probably survive. It's probably pretty accurate. I think there is going to be an extinct, extinction level event where a lot, not extinction because people will survive, but like when I use that example of numbers, if it's a thousand independent restaurants, a lot of them are not going to, they're going to be, they are going to go the way of the dinosaurs and not be able to come back. The reason I say that is it's going to, well, listen, we don't know the, the, the level of the government, government relief. I'm hopeful that it yeah. is substantial enough to uh, cushion the fall, but still it's not going to go back to hundred percent of people. Um, extinction level event. What do you think? Well, you're touching on 
something that it hits me with another question. Yes, small businesses are more vulnerable than big business, but yet headlines recently announced that a major, major international chain that I would have thought was super, super successful. You know, the restaurants are always packed across the country and literally they are global in, in many countries. And now they're announcing that they can't pay the rent on their, on their units. Granted, they're in high, you know, high uh, upscale shopping malls and all that kind of stuff. But you'd think a company like that would have a war chest to be able to sort of ride out the storm while they're waiting for these government programs. And what does that mean for a chain in addition to what does it mean to mom and pop on Main Street? You know, same thing. I mean, I think this has, uh, you know, broad scope, uh, you know, impact on this industry. I don't, I don't whatever know. I don't know if the if the chain you're referring to uh, is Cheesecake Factory, but I, I saw I saw I did see a headline on them and same same story across the board where they they had to furlough. I think I'm I don't have the exact thing in front of me. I'm going to say forty one thousand employees, uh, huge number, right? And, and yes, the same thing correct. is going to apply along the lines. And so yeah, if 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 like them, they can't uh, you know cover rent and can't get can't get accommodations. You know how is the little guy going to survive? So, um, you know, if you follow good financial health for your own family, you're ideally going to have that six months of living expenses right. whirled away, uh, where if something happens, <clears throat> you know, you can get by. And usually that's not so severe, but there's probably no restaurant on the planet that has six months war chest of expenses to get by because they are going week by week cash flow. Right you've now. done this. Uh, you've had talk about your seasonal operation a little bit in the past because you dealt yes. with this mentally. You know, you knew you had to jam it out because there was a period of time where you weren't going to make any money. So you knew you had to maximize the time mm -hmm. that you were up and running. So kind of talk with that mindset and kind of spin it to where you are today and what you might learn from that moving forward. What do you think? Well, you could go back 25 years in time when I started my first restaurant, and I didn't intend to be a seasonal restaurant. Granted, we were in a ski resort community, but it did have golf courses in the summer and that sort of thing. And I, I had to learn so much about this business when I first got into it. But we had a booming winter season when the skiers were there and made money literally right out of the gate because we focused on differentiating what we offered and we had a sophisticated offering and we had amazing customer service and we dialed in our profitability and I put all these systems in place almost right off the bat. And then, you know, you go into what is called mud season where, okay, the snow is melting and the sidewalks kind of roll up for a couple of weeks until spring kind of kicks in and now the traffic comes back and people are thinking about playing golf. So we reopened the restaurant and literally nothing happened. Crickets, you know, and we probably opened for six or seven weeks and we lost the entire money or profit that we made all winter. And we had to go back to the bank and get a loan to reopen for the next winter season. Thankfully, they believed in us enough and it was easier to get money from a bank and a restaurant back then. And then we decided never again will we open for the summer. We're going to make the seasonal model work. So that's when I went into super budget mode and super let's squeeze every nickel of profit out of this place and let's figure out how much cash we're going to end the season with and what our fixed expenses are going to be for the next six to eight months while we're closed. Put aside enough money for payroll and cost of goods to reopen until the season kicks in again. And then I had that system so dialed, it's like I would be sitting on a good chunk of change at the end of, you know, say April. And I would have plenty to last me all summer and have plenty to open up with again. And literally, we built our cash reserves year after year after year. And 
I anticipated bad seasons where it didn't snow very much or it rained a lot. And some seasons were better than others, but we improved the business every single year. We grew the business. We created affinity with our customers so that the customer base was expanding. And we literally built an iconic restaurant that uh, grew to $1.3 million in sales in just four month period. And then we'd shut it down. And I sold that business five years ago, but that was my mindset in, in opening this new place. Uh, the only track record or history I had was the prior owner's financials and tax returns that showed, okay, in this month I did this much revenue and this much revenue. Our costs were going to be different than their costs, of course, and I had to figure all that in. And then we spent a ton of money on improvements because this place needed a lot of fix-up. There was a lot of deferred maintenance. And then our eye-opener was, wow, you know, we just closed the kitchen about five weeks ago to do a major kitchen renovation because Maine was isolated from COVID-19. No cases were in Maine yet. And I thought, oh, business as usual. We'll open up for the weekend. I was expecting to do what our typical Saturday and Sunday business was, which was a nice amount of business. And all of a sudden, we reopened from this kitchen renovation, and it's 70% down both days. And it's like, wow, that's a slap in the face. We attempted to pivot and do that grab-and-go and curbside pickup model. And like I said earlier in, you know, in this recording, the customer didn't want to go out. They didn't want to touch, come into contact with people. It's still like this today. And restaurants are struggling with that model. And a lot of them don't know what their daily break even is or what it even costs them to try to serve the customer today. And they're losing even more money doing the grab and go than they would if they just shut the place down. So these are all critical decisions to make. Um, wow. One wow. of the let things me, that, let, yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back to a few things you said there, man. But um, uh, one of the keywords I wrote down a minute ago was, was anticipate, um, <coughs> anticipating back, back to the cheese stuff, right? No one yes. anticip anticipated yes. any change because where we were right now, man, System was flush with cash, uh, mm -hmm. bull market, the stock, stock market was at the high, everybody felt great, yes. spending money. It was easy, right? It's one of those called, called easy money phase, right? It was just, just, just very easy to operate. People are making money hand over fist in a lot of situations. So you're not anticipating change. Boom, change comes. I would argue it's not going to come back the way it was, never be the same. Um, but what that means, to your point, is... Um, you need to know those numbers better than ever before. And so right now is a chance to go back yep. into those uh, spreadsheets, back into those reports, <laughs> and find out what was going on. You um, recently put out an article that talked about getting your house in order, yeah. and it, that gently touches on this stuff. And I think, I think we'll probably look to deliver a full-blown resource on that for operators, how to do that. But if you were to give a, a, a you know a quick sixty second you know two minute overview and how to how to think about getting your house in order in the short term, even though we have no idea what that date to reopen is, what would you say folks need to look at right now, assuming they can just kind of get some quiet time and dig into their stuff? Well, there's three things that I think will have the greatest impact on their future um, success or their survivability in the short term. And that's knowing your prime costs. And there are so many restaurants out there that either are intimidated by the process, they don't know where the, to begin, or it's such an onerous, or they think it's such an onerous process that they don't even go there. And as long as they see their bank account growing a little bit, they think they're doing okay, but they have absolutely no idea what their food cost is, their labor cost is. 
and, and, you know, combined food, beverage, and labor costs are your prime costs. And if they take inventory at all, it's simply just to take a look on the shelves to see what I need to order this week. Not what's the value of my goods on hand? What was my cost of goods last week and the week before that? And is there consistency there? Are my costs high? Are my costs in range? Am I happy with it? Am I making as much money as I could be making? And you wouldn't know that unless you calculated those numbers. Um, the daily break-even would be number two. And again, I touched on that a little bit earlier, but you know, you've got a combination of fixed and variable costs that you must pay whether you're open or closed. The fixed costs, you, you pay regardless. Things like the mortgage or the rent kind of thing and the insurance, I mean, you pay that whether your business is shut down tight or you're operating. And then the variable costs are the things that you can control that, you know, you furlough your staff, suddenly you got no payroll costs anymore, or your cost of goods goes down if you're just doing the grab and go model. But you need to add up all these things every single month, know what they are on a monthly basis, divide by 30, and that's your magic number. And if you don't at least bring that in every single day you're open, then you're losing more money by opening than being shut down. So some restaurants will be able to make a go of it with a pivoted model, but probably not seven days a week like before. Maybe they can only make money five days a week, but they got to figure that out, you know? Listen, here's a question that relates to what you just talked about. Um, when you talk about the pivot, right now, people have made a pivot to takeout and delivery. And in doing so, I hope they've done this. They've made their menu simpler. They focus yes. on stuff that hopefully is very Correct. that is hopefully very profitable. They have limited their menu substantially. They've gone to family meals, delivering value. And um, two things that that is showing, and I want to kind of ask your, your advice last question on, is one, how dramatic should restaurants relook at their menu when they open? Like maybe is it necessary to have 45 dishes? And um, two, obviously fine dining has like, where is fine dining today? It's tricky. I've seen a lot of people promoting, you know, you know pick up pick up your steak, and I, and I highlighted a couple of those in the newsletter we put out today because people do still want to have a nice meal, and so it is good to get a nice piece of steak. Um, but, but probably the more successful ones that were ready for the pivot was QSR and fast service and so forth, for and, sure. and, and you know Absolutely. this. So, so two things there. Um, with the pivot, menu management, and then, you know, fine dining, casual, QSR, where, where are we going to land? What do you think the consumer is going to think? What do you got? I'm really glad you brought that up. It's really uh, the term I use is menu engineering. And you need to do this twice. Um, if, if we didn't have this crisis right now, let's start there. There are so many restaurants out there that have never costed out their menus and have absolutely no idea what the profit is that each plate contributes or what it costs to serve that plate to the customer, whether it's an appetizer, an entree, a burger, a sandwich, a salad, a dessert. So many restaurants have never gone through that process and they are willy-nilly on assigning a price to it. And what I find out is their profits are all over the map. You know, every time they sell a lower profit appetizer, the spread or the profit difference between the lowest profit item on the menu and the highest appetizer on the menu might be five bucks, six bucks, seven bucks. And when you do the math and you figure out the calculations, for whatever reason, with consistency, and I've done this with like five different clients now, Lower profit items are bigger sellers than higher profit. The volume of sales is that much greater. And every time they sell that, they're losing five bucks that they could be making if they sold the other higher 
So that's where the engineering thing comes in. So if we didn't have a crisis right now, I'd say, okay, everybody go back to the drawing board. The very first thing you should do is cost out your menu, figure out what your most profitable items are, and in the short term, train your staff to recommend those every table every time, highlight them on the menu, box them in, call them customer favorites or most popular, whatever. That's the, that's the quick solution. The harder solution is going back to the drawing board and figuring out, okay, should I drop these lower profit items from the menu? But then the customer might complain because they're popular. People like them. So what's the solution to that? You raise the prices to be more in line with the higher profit items, or you change ingredients, or you adjust portion sizes, or a combination of all of those things, you know? And then you bring in cash cows. We've talked about that a lot, you know, in, in different conversations we've had. But that's the way to make money in the restaurant business. So that's the first side of the equation if there was no crisis. During the crisis, you really want to pare down your menu for two reasons. One, you got to figure out what are the most profitable things I can sell right now because I don't want to spin wheels selling stuff that's not profitable because I'm not going to make any money doing this with a lower price point. So you got to figure out, okay, what's the most profitable thing I can sell, A, and then B, what are the simplest things that I can make with a skeleton crew because I can't afford to keep five line cooks on doing all this stuff. My business might come to a dramatic slowdown. I might be doing 60% of what I was doing before. Who knows? So now you got to be you in the kitchen and maybe your lead line cook. And what can we do to satisfy the public with a limited menu, but also make sure that everything we sell is as profitable as we can sell it? So those two things have to happen. But now's the time to do it, right? Because a lot of restaurants are idle or they're slower than before. When it's business as usual and it's full tilt boogie, nobody's got really the time to dig deep and do this stuff. So that's why putting your house in order now is essential for your future survival and potential success. Yes. Th uh, thank you for that. And I, I got a couple of follow-up questions there that I want to yeah, point out. Let, let, just to reiterate what Roger said for a second, let's make pretend you had a menu and you had five appetizers, whichever one you sold, it would be great if they were all delivering $5 to your bottom line. 10 entrees, every entree delivering $12 of profit to your bottom line. And I'm, these are just numbers to grab onto. Mm -hmm. But you shouldn't have one entree that's delivering 12 and one that's delivering two because you really don't even want to bother selling the, the, the entree that's no. delivering you $2 value. It's not mm -hmm. worth it. So don't have a menu that does that. And you are going to fall into that trap if you don't do what Roger just talked about of costing everything out. And yes, you may have to drop the one that, that's making you two bucks, even if everybody loves it because it's not profitable. So I have a, a, a this is pro, not a theory, I guess, uh, for you know, prognostication about the future. I think operations, uh, restaurants are going to run a lot leaner in terms of the number of people that they have uh, because they're nervous about spending money. So there might be less uh, doing more, right? Less servers on the floor or less people in the kitchen. So just they might need to raise their prices more yes, because yes. to build profit into a model that makes sense. And we as consumers may have to figure out that it should cost more to go out to dinner and accept that or not. But restaurants maybe shouldn't exist if they can't be profitable. I think that's a fair statement. And I really see technology in different ways coming in to help with some of these solutions to make the operations more profitable. And I'm not saying there's going to be robots taking your orders anytime soon, but, and, and I don't want to displace any staff, but at the end of the day, you're going to see uh, whether it's technology helping with your accounting and maybe that saves you some money or it's a kiosk that's taking your order that is faster and efficient and not 
creating a payroll. And maybe from the customer standpoint, me as a customer, I can go in, use the little kiosk thing, bop, 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 bop. and now maybe I don't have to tip. And if I don't have to tip 20%, I could pay the restaurant 15% more. And maybe that's how they make money. So these are just systematic things that may change. Any, any guesses on what things may change, Raj? Well, we've already seen those kiosks in airports, the self-serve kiosks that virtually eliminates the server taking your order and limiting labor. And now you just got a food runner on the floor. Um, I've been to several airports that have done this. And, you know, it kind of takes the human personal touch out of it. But the flip side is it works in an airport because everyone's in a hurry and they're really just trying to get in and get out as fast as they can and get a quality uh, meal and a quality drink. You know, it's not so much about sitting there for an hour and having the server take you through the menu and like have an experience, right? It's so it's efficient. Um, I, I definitely see that coming. But let me spin it back to what we were just talking about. I'd like to really hammer that home because we're talking about the limited profit that restaurants have. The majority of restaurants, they say you're doing well in this business if you can bring a 10 to 12% net profit. We know there's lots of restaurants in the 8% range. We talked about there being lots of restaurants in the 5% range that just aren't going to survive this thing and come out the other side. And what we are talking about, this menu engineering, I've seen have such a huge impact on that profit number. My most, you know, one of my recent clients, this puts this into perspective because it kind of blows me away. This is the biggest um, thing that I've done recently, but this client has a busy lunch and dinner place and there's 81 different menu items across both menus. And I'm talking everything from soups and salads and sandwiches and burgers and entrees and desserts on both of those menus, 81 different items. And yes, they had all that stuff costed out. They just hadn't looked at the data. You know, their chef costed it out and said, here you go, owner, here's the data and all that kind of stuff, but they weren't using it. I did this complete analysis and I've got this whole system worked out where I can figure out volume of sales on each individual item, what the spread difference is in each category, and I rank stuff in terms of volume of sales and what profit, the, the highest profit item in each category contributes X. And then everything in descending order is losing you two bucks on this, four bucks on that, six bucks on that, and then each column is totaled. And here's the kicker. This restaurant over the past six months has lost a potential profit of $183,000 on that menu in six months alone, $300,000 plus a year, because the lower profit items in every single category are the bigger sellers and are the most popular sellers. And that knocked their socks off. It knocked my socks off. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a busy lunch and dinner place. And not every restaurant, you know, has 150 or 200 seats at that level. But even if you figured out that you just, you know, you could be making an extra 30 or 40 or 50,000 bucks in six months, wouldn't that make a huge difference in that profit number for you if only you did this menu engineering thing? It is so critically important. This is the difference between success or just survival or, you know, even lasting in this business beyond this crisis. I mean, that is, that just hits me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, dramatic, dramatic difference. Let's let, let let let's go back to where we are today um, to to reel it back in, and we'll start to close up uh, for people. Um, it, unprecedented times, as 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 we know. So, a lot of folks are looking at the um, the relief programs that are out there. Um, right. Again, on right. on our site, runningrestaurants.com, Just yesterday, update I updated our relief program page. Man, I wish I had it up right in front of me. But um, what 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 you'll see there? I'm going to get there in a second. What you'll see there 
is information about the CARES program, uh, link to the NRA's description of that. Mm -hmm. uh, what you'll see there is um, the REST NRA themselves running a program that is just straight up donations and that they wish to give uh, people that can apply for that to help them with their costs. And that is sounds like it's off to a great start in terms of money. Um, there's another initiative looking, uh, Restaurant Workers Relief Program, looking to uh, provide uh, workers with supplies and food and meals and things like that. Very, very admirable. That looks awesome. Um, a bartender emergency assistance program where I saw Miller Lite themselves donated $1 million into that fund uh, where people can ask for. And then uh, the North Carolina people reached out to me. They had a resource for folks and probably every state is doing the same. And Roger can speak to Maine because he's, he's involved with the Maine board there. So there are relief programs out there. And specifically, I know folks are looking at the payroll one and the CARES one. Roger, you filled out more forms than you care to probably mention in the last uh, week or so. Talk about your experience re with relief. What do you think is going to come from it? I've always been of the mindset of get in line early or first and don't delay or procrastinate this process. Um, in my own experience, yes, the SBA is offering some pretty amazing programs that you have to try to take advantage of. So my first uh, advice would be obviously talk to your lending you know, institution, whether that's a bank, a credit union, or whatnot, because these are the ones that you'll have to work with to qualify for these SBA programs. But again, the SBA uh, announced this relief, the, the disaster, economic injury disaster program, and the bandwidth just immediately evaporated because hundreds of thousands of people were applying for it immediately. You know, they didn't procrastinate. And I myself was on this website for hours and hours, several days in a row. And there was a little sort of meter telling you what your progress was and how much you accomplished versus when, you know, when you're going to be done. And I only got to like 25% after six or seven hours on this thing. And it, it literally would slow down to the point where I would answer a question and then the little thing would spin for like five minutes before you'd go on to the next question. You can answer another one and then you'd wait and wait. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then the thing went down for maintenance for two days because it crashed. And now it's beautiful. They have a new link with a complete streamlined site that literally takes you 15 to 20 minutes max to fill out this if you apply for the disaster relief um, loan. And then there's a, a box you can check that immediately within three days uh, will give you a $10,000 grant if you qualify with your small business. And the parameters are not very stringent. I mean, most of our small businesses will fall into this category and you can get an immediate $10,000 grant that you will not have to pay back if you you know, fit the, fit the mold there. So I'm taking advantage of that one. The CARES Act is beautiful because it our biggest fear, of course, in my business and most businesses is, okay, I've lost my staff. Are they going to ever come back to me? Or are they going to somehow find something else? Will I have to rebuild my team on top of trying to rebuild my business? So this is the most beautiful of all so that you can pay your people whether your restaurant is closed or not. And you don't have to pay those loans back provided you use the funds to pay your staff as you did before. And then there's a little bit left over. You can pay, you know, mortgage or interest payments and utilities and other fixed costs. That's, that's a great one. I'm applying for that one. I also went to my lender, immediately negotiated a line of credit that's literally going to cover my fixed costs for the next 10 months if I can't reopen. So all these things in combination are part of my survival strategy. And then let's not forget, there's an unemployment program now that'll allow you to apply if you're a self-employed person, even if you haven't paid into the system yourself. So you have to look into all these programs, stay on top of them and take advantage of whatever you can and try to be 
really at the head of the line and not get bogged down and lost in the system. But there's help out there. You just got to go look for it and find it and get it. Yeah, good, Raj. Thanks for that update from your side. And I, I think what happened, um, I'm going to say right around St. Patrick's Day when the panic button was officially hit and yep. restaurants, a lot of them reacted that day, next day, boom, you're all fired right, right. because we don't have any money, which, which I get, which was the gut reaction. Um, I don't understand all the details of it, but, but the government program apparently lets you rehire those people to put them into these uh, programs if necessary. So, so do dig into that. It is, it could potentially be the savior for a lot of folks. There's a lot of loan forgiveness aspects. If you, if you, if you hit the dotted lines, uh, that is never before it. And I'm not going to use the word free money, but loan forgiveness kind of means free money. So if you hit all the dots, um, it could be very beneficial to get you through this. So do that. Use our site as a starting point and then jump off into these, um, into these resources to do that. The unemployment benefits have never been better if they follow through with, with that plan. So that's an option for your staff. And then the last two days, uh, I actually I covered this early on, and the answer was seemingly going to be no. We talked about insurance very early on in Roger's call, and the next day with with David from Bar and Restaurant Insurance, and then another time with with maybe even Dale. Um, the uh, the big restaurant groups are are suing the big insurance companies who are trying to deny the claims for, for uh, 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 mm-hmm. loss of business revenue. Clo- oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the phrase, but uh, unintended closing. Right? What's the phrase I'm looking for? Business interruption. Business, so yes. business interruption. A yes, lot of yes, times yes. it's excluded. Some, some policies it was not exp- explicitly excluded. Nevertheless, th- th- those guys are getting sued. And I've seen pieces where the government is putting pressure on, uh, on those insurance people to uh, make payments. So, so follow up on the insurance route as Absolutely well true. would be, would be my, my, my thought there. So um, we, we, cover, we covered a lot here uh, today, Raj. We, we, we started with... Uh, the good old Who Moved Who Move My Cheese book. If you haven't read this, it'll take you less than an hour to read it. I would read it as a mindset change of how you react when big things change. What do you do? Um, you're going to have to change, so you're going to have to get into a mindset change. It is going to have to be a dramatic amount of change um, to do that. We're not going to go back to business as usual, so we're going to be helping you talk about how to get your house back in order when you're ready. We don't know when that's going to be. So, but what can we do in the meantime to get our house in order? We're going to start delivering you some resources for that. Um, the relief options are your best things to be looking at right now. And then, uh, yeah, just if you, if, you, if you pick up some nuggets from Roger's background, his experience, I think the seasonality that he's gone through in the past is going to give him a good mindset to succeed. So uh, closing parting thoughts, Roger, what do you got? Yeah, let's talk about that insurance real quick and uh, other obligations. So I reached out to my insurance company and I've got workers' comp insurance, I've got general liability policies, and all those companies are forgiving late payments and they're extending terms uh, to make payments. A lot of my creditors are giving me, you know, interim payments and terms and all those things. So you can't ignore the stuff. You should literally contact all your creditors, explain the situation and say, I do intend to pay my bills, but what can, what can you do for me and what can we work out here to make it amenable to both of us? That's the first thing. And then let's close with the, you got to stay relevant with your customer. You got to stay in touch and communicate with your customer, whether that be social media or putting a banner on your building or a giant sandwich board out front, you know, with 
you know, an, an inspirational message. We miss you. We'll be back soon. Thank you so much. Whatever it is, it's like you just got to stay relevant. I mean, we're doing we're doing continual social media posts just inside our restaurant, showing an empty place, saying we miss you. And you know, we just renovated our kitchen. Look how beautiful it is, and we can't wait to get back. And it's like we just. You know, you got to do these posts that just remind people of what you do and what and how you do it and what you do well. Photographs of the food that you were serving. You know, look forward to this eggs Benedict. It's coming back. You know, you just got to stay relevant, and we're doing a lot of that. Thank you, James. Always fun. Wish the best to everyone out there. Yep. We'll see. We'll see you guys soon. Stay safe. Bye bye. As always, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate you listening and enjoying the podcast. And again, I really appreciate Jamie Oikel of RunningRestaurants.com. He and I have been friends and colleagues for quite some time. We're going to be doing quite a few things in the future together, so stay tuned on that. You know, this episode, again, was all about, you know, who moved your cheese? All of our cheese got moved, of course. But the whole idea is it was a massive wake-up call for this industry, and it's all about, once again, putting systems in place, strengthening and improving your business. And if this is something that you need help with, this is something that intrigues you, but you got to do it, and you don't have time to do it, and you don't know what to do, I have a turnkey system called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. It's available at restaurantrockstars.com, and it's everything I've learned about 21 years of running super profitable restaurants. It's all about the systems I used in multiple locations, again, to control costs, maximize profits, create the dream team staff, and create affinity with my customers. And that is, again, a powerful sense of, of belonging or loyalty from your customers. It's all about getting new and repeat business and really, you know, turning your business into a show place. So check it out. It's called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. Once again, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review um, on iTunes. It'll help others find the podcast. And I want you to know we just launched a new Facebook group. It is called Restaurant Rockstars Official. So if you like a place to, uh, you know, a forum where you can chat and create ideas and, and talk amongst yourselves in the industry, check out Restaurant Rockstars Official. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.